David. So this morning we're going to wrap up uh, Meant to Be, a study that we've been doing in marriage. And what I really want to talk about this morning is what does it look like to finish well? Do any of you guys ever think about like what it's going to look at like when you're maybe 80, 90 years old and still married and going, what is my life going to look like when I'm finally at this point, when I'm finally meeting and I'm getting close to death, when I'm finally getting close to being with Jesus. Well, Song of Solomon chapter 8 is pretty much the end of the, uh, the chapter, the end of the book, and we're going to see him starting to talk about this life really well lived. And ultimately, if we look back on our life, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, can we look back and say, hey, the life that I've lived, I've made some mistakes, maybe I've done some things that I regret, but ultimately I can say that I'm going to finish well and that one day I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. If I'm going to be honest with you, the thing that compels me and the thing that drives me, even when life gets difficult, even when marriage gets difficult, even when raising kids gets difficult, is knowing that, hey, I've got to keep running this race, and ultimately, I want to finish well. And at the end of my journey, I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what drives me. I have this vision for my life, and uh, maybe you may have the same, but I'll share it with you. My vision is this. I want to get to maybe, let's say, 50, 60, 70 years of marriage, which I would be really old. I'm horrible at math, so I don't really know how old that would be. Um, but I'd be really old. And I want to get to this point where I can finally sit down on my back porch, and my wife and I don't have that many responsibilities left anymore. And the only responsibility I have is telling younger guys, hey, this is what you need to do. Um, but sit down and just recount, relive Mary, relive memories, drink a cup of coffee. I'm slapping my wife on the butt at 80 years old. <laughs> Enjoy some grandkids. And you know, one of the things that I really look forward to when I'm 80 is preaching. You know why? Because when you're 80 years old and you're preaching, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> like, you can say whatever the heck you want, and people are like, ah, he's just old. He's just old. He's got a few screws loose. Like, right now, I, I mean, I can't really do that because they're like, who is that young guy? Like, who, who, who is he? He doesn't know anything. It's true, I don't. That's why I go to the Bible. But ultimately, this is the thing. I have this thing that is driving me to finish this race well. To finish well. And, and the truth is, I don't really know how much time I'm still given. You know, I, I hope to get to 50 years when my wife and I can enjoy each other and enjoy our old age and recount and relive all the memories and all that God's done. But the truth is I could walk out of here today and, and not make it past tomorrow. So here's the concept that I want to get across this, this morning. It's this. Does finishing drive you? Does eternity drive you? Because I don't know if you realize this, but here is what life is all about. Life is not about just making decisions, and it's not just about making choices. Every choice that you make and every decision that you make affects your eternity. It affects your eternity. We are eternal beings. We will live forever. Though our physical body may die, our spirit will live forever. So as we wrap up our series today in Solomon, we're going to see his bride 
and Solomon are going to teach us what it looks like to live a life well lived and to finish well. Here's what I have learned, and not because this is my own experience, but because I have watched older couples in marriage that still have good marriages at 50, 60, 80 years in and married. The thing that drives them is though they may get old and they may slow down physically, they never slow down emotionally. So the, remember what we talked about in week two? Like you got to constantly resist that urge to downshift. Like, there's always this urge of, like, as life progresses and as things continue on, you're like, oh, I've loved her well, I've loved him well, and, and life is going well, and I just want to relax. I just want to take a break. I just want to kind of downshift a little bit. But every couple that has an incredible marriage is based on two things. One, it's Jesus as the foundation and the center. And two, I truly believe that they are constantly resisting and fighting the urge to just downshift and coast. To just downshift and coast. I don't know if you realize this yet, but we had our life group on Wednesday, and uh, if you're not plugged in one yet, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. But we were having our life group, and I went around the room, and I said, hey, listen, give me an example of how your youth has failed. You were like, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know if you realize this or not, but like, I'm 28 years old, and so I still think that, hey, I can do things that I used to could do when I was 16, 17. Like, I, I quickly realized that I can't. Um, we were on vacation a few weeks ago in Tennessee, and uh, one of the days we got snowed into our cabin. And so I was worried that we were going to be stuck there for a while, so they have this hill where all the, the, the snow was on the road, and I figured, hey, I'm going to go hike down the hill to see if at the bottom the roads are clear to see if we can get out of here. So I'm hiking down this hill. And uh, I get down to the bottom, and it was nothing. Like, I, my body felt great. I felt like I was in shape. And, and I get down, and then all of a sudden, I look up, and I'm like, shoot, i got to climb this thing. <laughs> i got to go back up the hill. And I quickly realized on my way back up, I am not as physically fit as I used to be at 17 years old. And I remember getting back, in, getting back to the cabin, and of course, like to my wife, like I can't show her any weakness, right? I get back in the cabin, and as soon as I'm walking on the front porch, I'm like, <gasps> and then I open the door, and she's like, how was it? Oh, great. I'm like, oh, man, I nailed that hill. I nailed that hill. And then truly, like, she goes back in, she's doing something in the kitchen, I get in the bathroom, I'm like, oh, God, I think I'm dying. I think I am dying. But maybe you've realized this or you've experienced this in your own life. Maybe, maybe you have some grandkids. Maybe you have some grandkids. I remember, my dad would kill me for sharing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I remember when uh, my dad, you know, like if you have a son, I remember telling my dad, I, I was like, Dad, I bet you I could smoke you in a race. I could smoke you in a race. And this is probably when I'm 17 years old. And my dad's like, oh, son, bring it on. And my dad's the kind of guy, you don't challenge him in a race. He's like, bring it on. And so I remember we're getting at the starting line, and my dad's probably 42 at this time, and my mom is like, all right, go. My dad takes off running, and I am, we're like neck and neck, and all of a sudden my dad just bites it. Boom! And I remember I feel, I'm like, oh my God, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to win. But I remember for like two or three weeks, my dad was walking around like this. And, and here's the thing. It's only because in his mind, he thought, I'm going to smoke this teenager. I'm going to smoke this teenager. But he quickly realized that his physical body was not 17 years old anymore. 
So here's the thing that I, I want to encourage you with, and we're going to study this um, starting next week a whole lot more, but your youth is going to fail. Your body is going to fail. You're going to get out of bed certain mornings and be like, dude, my freaking bum back. My back is killing me. You're, you're going to do certain things and realize that you are not what you used to be. Things change, but we have to continue and never slow down, one, in pursuing Jesus and pursuing our spouse. Our bodies may begin to fail us, and we may slow down physically, but we can never downshift in our pursuit of Christ. Here's the truth. The day you stop pouring into your marriage is the day that the flames begin to go out. Remember what we talked about week three, logs on the fire? Like your marriage is consistently stirred when you are putting logs on the fire. And if it is smoldering right now, and if it is smoking and it is barely going out, it's because you stopped putting logs on the fire. So, real quick, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 8. And let's revisit this romantic life of Solomon and his wife. And here's what's going on. Song of Solomon chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Says, oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed me at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you, and I would bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink the juices of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. And you're probably going, what in the heck does that mean? I want you to understand this. Here's what's going on. Solomon is at the end of his life. It's not the honeymoon anymore, okay? It's not in chapter one where they're young and their youth is, is very prevalent. They are at their old age. Their bodies are failing them. And there's one thing that we notice. He's still pursuing his bride. And, and we see this. He says, I found you. I'm, I'm chasing you. I'm seeking you out. He says, if I saw you in the courts, I would kiss you. He says, I will lead you. I will bring you to a place of peace and comfort. So here's what I want to, I'm going to give you three points based on the Song of Solomon to help you end well. Number one is this. Pursue your spouse regardless. Pursue your spouse regardless. Despite all the history together, all the familiarity with each other, they still pursue each other. They refuse to slow down in their love for one another. Though they may have physically slowed down, though their bodies may begin to fail them, they refuse to slow down in their love for each other. There's this concept that I want to talk about that I think I see happening in American culture that is so dangerous. They refuse to become roommates. So, so here's the thing within the Christian church. We, we understand divorce is wrong, right? But some of us are so distant from our spouse, instead of trying to reconnect, instead of trying to put logs on the fire, instead of trying to stir up intimacy, we just settle with becoming roommates. So you do your own thing, she does her own thing, and you come back to the house, and basically you just share a roof together. 
just share a roof together. There's no intimacy. There's no emotional connection whatsoever. The thing that I love about Song of Solomon, and we see in this passage, is he's talking about, I'll kiss you, I'll lead you, I'll bring you. He didn't just put on a show in front of everybody publicly. He didn't just show um, his love for his wife in front of everybody, hold hands when they're around people, and then get behind closed doors, and it went cold. There is this level of intimacy in public and in private. It wasn't just a show. He genuinely was pursuing and loving his wife. He refused to become just a roommate. Everywhere they went, it was true, true love. Now, remember this. And this is the thing that is dangerous about a marriage series because we can talk about all these things and you may look at it and you may look at your own marriage and say, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to ever get there. One, I want to let you know my wife and I are not perfect, okay? And we've only been doing this for seven years, so some of you have been married a whole lot longer than us and probably have a whole lot more experience. So the only thing that I'm trying to point you to is scripture. But the thing that I want you to remember is this, the when your relationship starts um, wandering or you start to see yourself at a place that is unhealthy or, or not good or you're saying, hey, what's going on? Typically, this is the case. You stop putting logs on the fire. You stop putting logs on the fire. You stop pursuing one another. It's just the simple things. You stop holding hands. You let little things get to you. And when they were little, you didn't deal with them. And so the little things become big things. And ultimately, what dangerously starts happening is you start seeing things that aren't even there. That aren't even there. You begin to make things up. You know, when I'm older, my wife and I are older, continuing on in my vision for my life, one of the things that I would love to see is us to just be able to sit down at dinner and stare each other in the eyes and not have to say much. I remember when I was younger, I used to, I saw a couple one time sitting at a restaurant and they're just sitting there and they're looking at each other and they're not saying much. And I remember thinking, how miserable, like how miserable, but begin to dawn on me, like the older that you get, you don't really have to say much. Like, these people are just too madly in love with each other. They don't have to say much. And there's, no, there's really no need for small talk, right? They just talk about deep things. They talk about life. They talk about intimacy. They talk about things that really matter. I hope to one day, like I was saying earlier, that my wife and I can get to, to 80 years old and still truly be madly in love with each other, but I think we have to put this point into practice that we pursue our spouse regardless. Meaning this, you're pursuing your spouse regardless of what they have or haven't done. Regardless of who they are or they're not becoming. Regardless of how much they have progressed or how much they haven't progressed. Like we pursue our spouse regardless. Here's dangerous thinking if you're younger. Don't sadly think that, hey, you know what? When I'm 80 or when I'm further along down the road, then I'll handle that issue that me and my wife have. 
If you go about it with that mentality of I'll get around to it when, it becomes a really big issue and it now becomes really difficult to solve. When we stop pursuing our spouse, the spouse either just leaves so you get divorced or you settle on just becoming roommates, which is equally just as dangerous. We will never arrive at a place where we can say, hey, I know you now. It simply won't be true. Each day we're pursuing our spouse. Each day as we continue to love them and pursue them, we're going to learn and figure out something new about them. The day that you truly can stop pursuing your spouse is the day that you die. Like pursuit is forever. As long as you are here on this earth, as long as we are here on this earth, we are consistently putting logs on the fire. Number two, I will stay with you until the end. I will stay with you until the end. And this is an extremely powerful verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, uh, 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave that flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. The word love in this passage is that Hebrew word that we've been talking about, ahava. Meaning this, ahava is the clinging love, the love that says, I'm not going anywhere. Ahava is as strong as death. So he says, when he says set me as a seal upon your heart, upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Here's what he's saying. He's saying all the oceans and all the storms and all the ugly sides of life will not separate me from you. Ahava is worth more than all the riches and wealth of this world. If we're going to be faithful to the end, we will have to lean into the covenant that we made with our spouse in the Lord. Because there's going to be times that you get out of bed in the morning and you're not going to emotively feel this love for them. You're not going to feel like being um, sacrificial and self-serving. There's going to be times when you have to lean into the grace that God so freely gives and lean into that covenant of saying, listen, I made a commitment to this person and to God that I'm not going anywhere. That this is till the end, till death do us part. Ahava says it's not an option for me to go anywhere because Jesus would not abandon his own bride. That's true love. Culture has turned love into this emotive, fluttery, valentiny kind of love. True love is Ahava that says, in the stormy, dark days. In the stormy, dark months, in the stormy, dark years and seasons, I'm not going anywhere. I will stay with you. Believe it or not, in Louisiana, I think most pastors, because we live in the South, we live in a very religious culture, a lot of people see pastors as, you know, I think above sometimes. And I want to try to do everything that I can to break that stereotype. I want you to know that I'm just like you and struggle with the same things that you do. There are times in my marriage when my wife sees me at my worst. Like at my worst. 
There are times, and this may be shocking to some of you, there are times when I just have a really hard time pursuing God. There are times when I find it really difficult to connect with Jesus. There are times when I open up the Bible and want to read, and the last thing I want to do is hear from God, and the first thing I want to do is go to sleep. There are times when my wife sees me at my worst. As a matter of fact, this was uh, just as recently, a few weeks ago, when I was just, I was at a level of my, just my worst. Like I was having a really hard time just connecting with God, um, and it started showing in my relationship with my wife. I was kind of snappy. Anybody ever get that? Like you just get snappy? <laughs> you get snappy, you get agitated. And then it, then it shows even further, like the kids would come in the room and I'm like, quiet! I was just like putting a Lego together. Like I start getting, coming unglued, unraveled. And, and there's two options that my wife can have in this moment. She can look at me and say like, what the heck is going on with you? Like, you need Jesus. <laughs> it, it, it would be true. And so she sees me at my worst. She sees me in a state where I'm having a difficult time connecting with God. And she knows how my affections are stirred for Jesus. And she, she looks at me where it's in the morning and I get up and I have coffee in my hand. For any of you kind of just people like when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I don't care about anything, but where's my coffee? That's kind of how I am when I wake up. My wife, is, it's been a gradual learning curve. Like I don't, like when I get up, like don't talk to me. I like, don't say a word. My wife was like, she gets out of bed, she's like, hey, happy day. I'm like, this is great. I will never be able to be like that. So I'm sitting down on the couch just drinking some coffee and trying to wake up. And it's my day off, actually. And uh, she looks at me and she says, you need to go to a coffee shop. I'm like, what? what are you talking about? She said, look, I just, I noticed that you've had a hard time pursuing Jesus lately. You need to just get away, get away from the kids, get away from um, the house. And, and just go and pursue Jesus. And at first I had two options there. I could be offended. I could have been like, so it's that bad. <laughs> I am that bad, right? And I just need to get out of here. Or I could have seen it as her loving me. And just going, babe, just go spend time with Jesus. That's what you need right now. Get out. And so that's what I did. I went and I sat at the coffee shop. I read. And amazingly enough, because my wife was gracious and loved me well, I came back. And now it's been a lot easier to pursue God and to connect with God. As a spouse, that is our job. We want, not only do we want to finish the race well, but we deeply want our spouse, our husband or our wife to finish well. So we have a job to steward and take care of their heart. When my wife sees me in a desperate, hard place, and she knows my moment of weakness, she's going, babe, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And hopefully that I would do the same for her. But here's the deal. I am so grateful for a wife that understands Ahava. That she saw me at my worst and she loved me at my worst. When she should have had every wife to go, babe, you are just snappy, you are ugly, you are ignorant, I can't believe you, why are you treating us this way? She could have done that and acted out of her emotions, but she chose in that moment to say, look, we all have got dark days, we've all got dark moments, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you well. And that's Ahava. As Christians in marriage, we don't beg. It's for better or for worse. 
My wife loved me at my worst. She didn't bail. She did not give up on me. Now, don't get this wrong. This does not mean we stay in abusive relationships. Well, Pastor Jack just said, like, I'm not going anywhere. That's not what this means. Like, if you are in a harmful relationship, get out of it. Seek some counsel. Seek God and, and what you should do. I'm not saying if you're in an abusive, harmful relationship that you just need to stand your ground and stick it out. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are very few reasons biblically that you can end the marriage, but there are some that you can. But I'd also say that grace and God's redemption is so much more powerful than anything that you can ever imagine. And so you may be in a hopeless situation right now, or so it seems, but you've constantly have got to remind yourself that God is so much bigger than that, and you have constantly got to pursue community and get involved with other people that can help you and encourage you and push you along the path. One of the biggest lies that I think we believe in culture is that when we get married, that our spouse is going to complete us. That this emptiness, this dissatisfaction that we had before we were married, when we get married, that all of a sudden, like, it thanks Jerry Maguire for screwing up an entire generation. Anybody watch that movie? You just complete me. That's the worst line on the face of the earth. There is no man or woman that can complete you. They can't. Because here's the thing. They don't offer what Jesus offers. Look at it this way. Two flawed human beings do not make completion. They make more sin. <laughs> Two flawed human beings desperately need Jesus. Desperately need Jesus. The reality is, whoever you marry is most likely going to disappoint you. The reality is, the person you will marry will probably be responsible for your deepest pain and your deepest hurts. Why? Because you love them more than anybody on the face of the earth. And the people that you love the most are going to hurt you the most. And they're going to hurt you deeply. But that's why we have to understand Ahava, the way that the Father loves us. When the Father looks down at us and Jesus looks down at us and he says, listen, yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, you messed up, but guess what? I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And that's the way that we look at our marriages is, yes, we've got some past. We've got some history. We have some times when, man, we made some mistakes. But I'm not going anywhere. Even in the best marriages, there will be hardships to overcome. There's going to be difficult days. There's going to be frustrating behavior. There will be crisis that exposes things in your heart that you never knew were there. I've used, we've used this example before, but nobody thinks they're selfish until they get married. Um, if somebody would come up to you when you're single, like, hey, do you think you're selfish? No, not really. And then you get married, and it's like, bam, crazy selfish. You realize how selfish you are, Right? Your spouse oftentimes is going to reveal what's going on right here. Let, let me give you a good example. Let me just give you a good example. Your wife works all day to get the house clean. You come home and you throw a towel down on the ground. And you expect her to pick it up. I do it all the time. <laughs> My wife is like, are you serious? 
I work all day to clean, and you are too lazy to pick up a stinking towel and put it on the thing. Like, you didn't, remember, when you're single, you don't realize how selfish you are. All marriage does is expose things that were in our heart all along. And here's the thing that you cannot get confused with. Oh, man, this woman, she just brings this stuff out of me. Oh, this man, I was never like this until I met them. No, you were exactly like that. Now she's just making it known. He's just making it known. She's just bringing it out. It was always there. It was always there. Marriage oftentimes exposes your kids. I mean, it exposes your heart. Marriage oftentimes exposes your heart. So Solomon said, set a seal upon your heart. What does this mean? This means at times in your marriage that you've got to dig your boots in, stand your ground and say, I'm going to fight for joy. Here's the truth. We don't like hearing it, but it's a broken world and nobody gets out without bleeding. Nobody. Like, listen, I was praying the other day and I was thinking through this just kind of concept, but marriage is a lot like the weather, isn't it? Like, the weather's always changing, isn't it? Especially if you leave, live in Louisiana. You wake up, it's freezing, and the next day you're wearing, like, a Speedo. You know? <laughs> like, what the, if you wear a Speedo, please don't do that. Um, <laughs> marriage is a lot like that. You wake up, there's cold days. There's dark days. There's sunny days. There's great days. Let me, let me give you a good, for example, so let's say one night, man, you just had this romantic dinner. It's awesome. It's great. And you're like, as a husband, you're like, man, dude, I just nailed it. I killed it. She is like, in love with me. And then you go to work. And then when it's time to come home, it's five o'clock, and you open the door, and man, you know what I'm talking about? You know when you open the door, and like, the woman hasn't even looked at you yet, and you're like, oh, shoot. Like, you just feel it. <laughs> You just feel walk in and you're like, something is terribly wrong here, and I want to run. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, you just feel it in the atmosphere. And you see your wife, she's like stirring, you're like, hey, babe, like, you good? I'm fine. Oh, shoot. Oh, God. This is going to go really bad. Like, I just killed it last night, and I just walked into, I don't know what I walked into. Right? It changes. Constantly. And if we don't understand true love, ahava, I'm not going anywhere, you're constantly going to be rocked. It's till death do us part. It's till bring on poverty. Because ahava is better than all the riches of the world. We've got to be prepared for dark days, dark months, dark years. At times we've got to dig our boots in. And say, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to fight for joy. Everything I can to fight for this marriage. And listen, you, you may be in here and say, look, that's great. I got a great marriage. And I'm not, I'm not trying to discount that at all. Maybe you do. But in life, there are going to be things that are completely out of your control. That affect your mood, that affect your attitude in certain things. And this happened to me a few years ago when I got a phone call working in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My mom calls me and her voice is shaking. 
says, hey, uh, hey, listen, I just, I don't know how to say this, but we just went to the doctor, and your, your, your dad has cancer. Like, don't live in denial that, hey, this is never going to happen to me. We live in a broken world. And as I said earlier, nobody gets out without bleeding. But the greatest thing in the world that you can do is begin to prepare your heart for that. Hey, listen, in those dark days when I'm at my worst, if my wife understands Ahava, if I understand Ahava, that there's going to be times when it's just difficult. But we're going to dig our boots in and we're going to fight for joy. Because Jesus is so much greater than anything that we're facing right now. Number three, and I'll be honest with you, this one's going to be hard. Number three, I will continue to believe despite our history. I will continue to believe despite our history. I'll be honest with you. All throughout this series, we've been talking about Solomon, and he's just this great romantic, right? Him and his wife have the ideal marriage. This dude is like writing love songs, poems. He is, he is planting forests and vineyards and all this stuff, all for his wife. Well, as we're going to study next week, Solomon messed up, like, big time. Big time. You know what happened to Solomon? He had this wife who he was madly in love with. And we don't know what exactly happens, but as the years progress, there's this discontentment that begins to set in his heart. And all of a sudden, the wife of his youth is not really satisfying him like it used to. And so Solomon ultimately sets out on this quest for significance, for meaning. He's searching for something. And it says he's looking under the sun. Like, is there anything under the sun that can please me and bring me satisfaction other than Jesus? Is there anything here on this world that can fill this emptiness and this void that is going on in my heart? So you know what happens? He gets another wife. And then another one. And then another one. And another one. And another one. And another one. And, and, and scripture tells us he has 700 wives. One's enough for me. <laughs> One's enough. 700 wives. Then he gets 700 wives. And then he says, you know what? I'm, I'm, this brought me some fulfillment, some contentment for a while. But I'm still not happy. So then he adds 300 concubines. You know what that means? Prostitutes. So let's, okay, let's, let's add it up. He's got a thousand women at his disposal. One thousand women at his disposal. Do you think his first love, his first wife, maybe dealt with some insecurity? Like, was I not enough? Was I not enough? But the crazy thing, if you look at Solomon 8, because this is them coming to the, the end of their life, this wife, is still with him. Did she have every reason in the world to leave? Heck, yes! She had every reason to leave. Every reason to leave. Her husband went crazy for a season. And I don't want to give it all away because we're going to talk a lot about it next week. But he just, he went crazy. He flipped out. For a season, he, he thought that God wasn't enough. 
But thank God that he had a wife that understood. Ahaba. Ah. He says, you know what? You, yeah, you, you, bro, you've royally screwed it up. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Can I tell you something, men? The grass is never greener on the other side. The grass is never greener on the other side. Listen, you may be in a marriage right now that it is the flames are smoldering and it's not going that well. And you go to Walmart and you're in the line and you see some hot woman. And you start to fantasize about what, I wonder what my life would be like with her. It's not greener on the other side. Because listen, there is no man and there is no woman on the face of the earth that can give you the satisfaction and fill the emptiness that is in your heart. It is only Jesus. Only Jesus. But despite their history together, Solomon's wife decided to dig her boots in and say, not leaving. And here's what I find interesting. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Solomon says something really, really significant. And here's what we read. Chapter 9. Go eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. And this is what he says. After the 700 women, after the 300 women, after all the other things that he's searching, he comes back and he realizes, one, that God was all he needs, and two, this. And he says, enjoy the life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion. That is your portion. Basically, he comes to the end of himself and he realizes, man, if I would have just continued to pursue Jesus and continue to see Jesus as my all in the wife that he gave me, my life, my life probably would have been a whole lot better. My, my life probably would have been a whole lot better. So here's the question. Do you want to have a marriage that lasts to the very end? To the very end. And listen, I am well aware that there are people in here that have made mistakes and maybe some regret that you have with marriage. Like we talked about at the very beginning of the series. Listen, the past is the past. God forgives you for the things that you've once done and decide to make a decision to carry on right now and don't live in that game, that guilt and that condemnation and that shame. Continue on. Like he forgives you and he loves you. There's grace for you. Make Jesus the center of your life and you will find lasting significance with Jesus. So if we're to sum all this up, this is what this means. Out of this entire series, it's this. Pursue regardless, stay when it's hard, and love despite the past. Pursue regardless, stay when it's hard, and love despite your history together. Listen, marriage is probably one of the most beautiful things in the world. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world, but at the same time, it can be one of the most challenging and difficult things in the world. But we serve a God who is greater than any challenge and any obstacle that we face. So wherever you're at right now, in your relationship, in your marriage, or even your relationship with Jesus, you can decide right now to make a decision to move on.
make a decision to move on. Listen, don't live in the past. Don't live in shame. Don't live in guilt. Through Christ, we have been set free of all those things that plague us. And he's more than enough. He's more than adequate. But listen, for some of us, we've just got to dig our boots in and say, listen, I'm going to fight joy. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe that God's going to work in this marriage if you're in a difficult time right now. That God is going to work. Like God, the one who made the stars, the one who created the universe. That God. That God is going to work on your it's never too far gone. It's never too far gone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. God, we thank you that you have given us everything that we need. God, I pray that we wouldn't walk out of here, God, feeling condemned or guilty for some of our past or our history. And I pray that you would break down walls and that you would do only what you can do.